Toe surgery, just so you know. Having a hammer toe changed into a screwdriver toe. So let's let that distraction now float away. Could I be a window in a darkened hall to give a passing soul a way of seeing through the wall? And people stop in front of me, and into me they peer, uncertain what they see because I'm not exactly clear. Could I be a lighthouse standing on a shore, meant to send light out to the sailor in a storm? But even though I show my light, not a boat can tell. I didn't know I'm supposed to. I'm not supposed to shine it on myself. Am I a bell that hasn't tolled? A drum that hasn't rolled? A word of hope unsaid? A declaration never read? Could I be? Could I be a siren made to raise my voice, but sinking in silence, afraid of making noise, even though the enemy is flying overhead, even though the fire is continuing to spread? Am I a spear afraid of flight, a constellation afraid of night, a principle unknown, a pilgrim holding on to home? Could I be? A flare afraid to burn, a wheel unfree to turn, a compass shunning north in a vessel straying way off course. Could I be? Could I be a lighthouse standing on a shore that the lost are looking for? I had no idea that John was going to have foot surgery. But here is the first line of my sermon this morning. This is the truth. I had no idea. This morning, we are looking for those among us who have beautiful feet. <laughs> the U.S. Marine Corps used to run an ad in which they said they were looking for a few good men. This became the title for a pretty famous movie starring Tom Cruise and, John Nick or, and Jack Nicholson. This morning, we are not looking for a few good men, but for someone with beautiful feet. I had no idea. So the question this morning is, do you have beautiful feet? Do you get it? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. You don't get it? <laughs> this one went to market. This little piggy stayed home. Ate roast beef. Do you get it? <laughs> I was thinking this morning when I put this in here, how is this going to go over in the second service when you've got probably 30, 40% of your congregation who's from Africa or Philippines or whatever and have no idea about little piggies? It'll be interesting, but we'll see. Some of you experience this. I know exactly what that's like. 
But Robin would say that she understands way better than me. And that's probably true. So we are talking, actually, about beautiful feet this morning. But the question is, why beautiful feet? And it's not me who raised the issue. The issue actually comes out of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And of course, the point is not that somebody has beautiful feet. The point is that somebody has a beautiful message. And that's what we're focused on this morning is the beauty of the message. And then those who bring it. We started last week a series on preaching and outreach with the gospel. And we looked at this verse. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Last week, we looked specifically at the part about teaching. This week, we want to focus specifically on the question of preaching and what all of that means. Clearly, for both Jesus and for Paul, preaching good news, proclaiming good news, is a key element to the Christian faith. But in the history of the church, there has been at least one really big mistake that was made with the whole idea. And that is that somewhere along the line, we decided that we weren't all preachers. Somewhere we decided along the line that the only people who had beautiful feet were the people who get paid by the church to stand in front of them on Sunday morning. And Robin could tell you, it's not true. I don't have beautiful feet. Although it's not so much true today, it used to be the case that the person who had the role that I have in our church was usually called the preacher or the evangelist. If people ask me what I do, I typically say I'm the pastor. People say, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Or if someone comes in and says, I want to talk to the pastor. Hope always directs them to me. She doesn't call Miles on the phone, which is interesting. Somewhere along the line, we kind of turned it into that. So I'm often referred to as the pastor. I'm often referred to as the preacher. And the fact is that it was largely because of this passage, I think, this maybe the one before this in Romans chapter 10, this one, I think, and some others like it, why it is that I became known as the preacher or the evangelist. In our church. But I don't know that that's necessarily how I should be thought of. So we look at this verse, and it's interesting the way that it uses this task of preaching and says that it's so crucial to the conversion of people to Jesus Christ. But I want to ask the question whether or not this is the role that I personally have in our church. Like, is, is that specific to me? Is that my role? as opposed to somebody else's role in our church. Uh, there we go. It's interesting that we call me a preacher when actually preaching the gospel is a fairly small percentage of my role or my job description. If you were to look at my job description this morning, I could have put it up on the screen. I, my job description entails all kinds of things. 
It certainly doesn't include just the preaching of the gospel. And in fact, even this morning, while I'm speaking to you, we call what I'm doing preaching, but I'd ask the question whether or not that's what I'm really doing. Like, am I really preaching the gospel this morning? Am I preaching to those specifically who need to hear the good news? Now, it's very possible that there's somebody here this morning who needs to hear the good news of Jesus. In fact, it's very likely that there's somebody here this morning who needs to hear the good news of Jesus. I'm just not sure that what I'm doing right now for this 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever it ends up being, I'm not sure that this is the focus of my conversation with you this morning. I'm sharing some things, but am I specifically talking about the good news of Jesus or the good news of the kingdom? Well, most likely, that's not the center of my thought. And in fact, this morning, as we discuss the role of preaching in the church, the fact is is that what I'm doing more than anything else is talking about your role and my role as preachers within the church. I'm not just preaching the gospel. And typically on Sunday mornings, that's not how I spend this time. So it seems to me that we may be a little bit confused when it comes to calling me the preacher, at least with respect to what I do on Sunday mornings during the sermon time. Because this typically amounts to my teaching or maybe to my encouragement, my exhortation more than the actual preaching of the good news. Now, first of all, wouldn't you say that's true? Like if we spent every Sunday morning with me standing up here saying, come to Jesus, all of you come to know Christ as Lord and savior. Have you been baptized? Have you given yourself to Jesus? Is your heart completely his? I I think there would be some benefit in that for sure. And that does go on occasionally. It's not uncommon that I would say something about people coming to Jesus as Lord, but typically on Sunday morning, when I'm talking to you, I'm not talking specifically about all of you coming to Christ. And the reason why is because by and large, the audience has come to Christ. Some of you have not. And let me just say this morning, if you haven't come to Jesus, I'd love for you to come to Christ. I'd love for you to know him as Lord and give your heart completely to him and confess him as Lord, be baptized into Jesus Have faith in him and live your life out in Christ. That would be absolutely wonderful. I hope that you do that. But typically that's what I, that's not what I do during this time. I end up teaching and exhorting more than anything else. Now, the fact is, despite some of what some of you may think and what I occasionally hear, I do actually work for more than one day a week. It's true. And I, and I know there are doubters. Like some of you, some of you, the only time you ever see me in your whole lives is on Sunday mornings. And so you think that must be kind of the extent of his work. But I actually do do some more things than just be here on Sunday mornings. There are definitely times during my week when I am sharing the gospel with others and preaching in that sense the good news. But some of my time is spent in looking after stray sheep. Some of you. When I play the role then of a shepherd. Some of my time is spent planning and dreaming and visioning concerning our church's ministry. Some of my time is spending uh, helping time to manage an institution and even a physical facility. And so, in fact, I'm on the operations committee. And so I work with uh, those who make sure that we have the bills paid and the lights are on and the parking lot is swept and things like that. I work with that group, too. Some of my time is spent 
putting out relational fires. Sometimes they flare up in a church. Some of my time is spent counseling. Some of my time is spent helping those with all kinds of special needs, including the poor or the disadvantaged. Some of my time is spent handing out food. Some of my time is spent as a small group facilitator. Some of my time is spent visiting and praying for the sick. Some of my time is spent managing our terribly unruly staff. My largest job by far. Some of my time is spent discipling and mentoring. And then some of my time is spent preparing. And I know you doubt this, but it's true. Preparing lessons, sermons. And I think it's interesting that we call them lessons, sermons. The very language of lesson doesn't sound like preaching the gospel to me. The very language of preparing a lesson sounds like teaching to me. And so at least on Sunday morning, it seems like more than what I do more than anything else is teach. Well, because of the diversity of roles I play and not just the role of preaching the gospel, the church here years ago and even before I came started calling the person that has my role the lead minister or the lead servant. And to sum it all up, I think that's actually a better title. Like I, I think it fits more appropriately to call me the lead minister, which I recognize is kind of a catch-all kind of title, in terms of describing what I do, because it, it does fit the job description. But when all that is done, and I'm done teaching on Sunday morning, or I'm done encouraging on Sunday morning, or I'm done doing all of those administrative managing kind of things that I do during the week or those serving kind of things that I do during the week, we end up with a question at the end of the day that still deserves some kind of answer. And that question is, what about the sharing of the good news of the kingdom? How is it that the sharing of the good news, the gospel, is going to take place as best as it possibly can. Because it seems to me like we still have this mandate as a church. We have this responsibility. There is this major task that's on our plates. I said a few moments ago that I think that we've made a mistake. That we decided a long time ago that we're not all preachers and that we needed to hire someone to do this. So we hired someone. We started calling him the preacher, but what we've just seen is that for a lot of his time, for a large part of the work that he does, he's doing something other than specifically preaching the gospel. I end up doing a lot more than that. I function more as a lead minister than as a preacher of the good news. So the question is, church, what are we going to do about this? Because this seems to me a huge question. The good news of the kingdom of God about Jesus needs to be preached. It needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be shared. And there is a portion of my time that I have available for doing that. But then there's a large part of time I don't have available to do that because I'm doing a lot of other things too. And so it would be absolutely ineffective, even if appropriate, to put that responsibility specifically on my shoulders or on the shoulders of the staff. It would be ineffective because it's not going to work very well. 
We're going to give Jonathan all kinds of responsibilities. We're going to have him lead worship, and we might ask him to help Michael with life groups a little bit, and we might ask him to do a few other things and help some people get involved in ministry or whatever. And then we're going to ask him to also preach the good news about Jesus. And we're going to turn over the responsibility of our teens, our youth, and our young adults to Dustin, give him lots of responsibilities there, and ask him then to go and preach the good news about Jesus. And we're going to give Hope all kinds of responsibilities that she can't possibly get done in the time that she uh, spends working here during the week. And then we might even ask her, because we've got to put it on somebody. We'll put it on Hope and say it's her responsibility then to share the good news about Jesus. Well, Hope would say... No, I don't even want to pray in public, thank you. So I'm not going to do that. And these others have all kinds of responsibilities. So what are we going to do? We could revise my job description. We could reorganize my time. We could hire someone, I suppose, in addition to our current staff, specifically to share the good news with others. I can then do the things I'm doing. Somebody else can go about preaching Jesus, but I'm not sure all of that makes a great deal of sense. And then it doesn't even begin to touch the subject of gifting. Because one of the things that I've noticed about the New Testament when it talks about something like sharing the good news of Jesus is that there are gifts that people have for this kind of thing. And so what do we do when God gives people certain gifts. He blesses them with the ability to do certain things better than others. Does that mean then that it's not the responsibility of everybody else? And well, I, I don't think that's the case. Well, we can't answer all the questions this morning. So let me get to what I think is the heart of the matter. And it's this. Although there are those among us who have a gift for sharing the gospel. And although there have been since the days of the apostles. Which, by the way, the word apostle, you know what that means. It means to be sent. It doesn't mean to lead. Apostle doesn't mean one of the twelve. The word apostle meant to be sent into the world in the name of Jesus. But since the days of the apostles, those especially called and asked to go about sharing the good news, although it's appropriate for the church to financially support those who serve as proclaimers of Christ, here I think is a truth. That it was a mistake for the Christian church to put the responsibility for sharing the gospel on the plates of a few called ones only. And I think they have special gifting. I think the apostles were specially chosen, especially given the gift for going into the world with the good news. But my point is that for every Paul and for every Peter and every Andrew and every Barnabas, there was some unknown hero of faith who simply shared the good news of Jesus with his or her neighbor And that this is what we really mean when we say preaching the good news of the kingdom. 
I want you to turn in your Bibles to one passage this morning that I find especially significant. I want you to go to Acts 11, verse 19. It's on page 780 of the Pew Bibles, if you're turning there. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And I'm going to read several verses here. But I want you to follow along with me. Is everybody there? Please do this. Turn to Acts chapter 11. I want you to look at this because it's, it's something we need to see. Verse 19 says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, and that, that happened back in Acts chapter 7, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And by the way, a lot of times we, we make the claim that Cornelius was the first Gentile convert. I would say that this passage runs against that idea. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and then they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And my question is, how did the church in Antioch and in so many other places around the Mediterranean world get started? How did this happen? And what I want you to notice is that it didn't start with Barnabas. It didn't start with Paul. What happened was that when Stephen was being killed and the Christians who were there in the city began to disseminate and go out all over the Mediterranean world, when they went, they took with them the gospel. And so Barnabas and Paul, they show up on the scene in Antioch and they are not the first Christians there. They do do some cleanup work. They do do some preaching and teaching and leading. And there are people that they also bring to the Lord. But that's not how the gospel got to Antioch. And that's not how the gospel spread throughout the Mediterranean world for the most part. There are missionaries who go into different cities. I know this. Paul goes around the Mediterranean world with Barnabas. And they do plant churches in different places. But is that how the gospel grew? It couldn't have. Because the gospel became very quickly a dominant force within the Mediterranean world. How did that happen with one or two or three or four or five or six or even twelve guys going out? It didn't. It happened because twelve turned into twenty-four and twenty-four turned into forty-eight and forty-eight turned into ninety-six and ninety-six turned into... 192, and 192 turned into, and right now I'm just bragging, okay? It's amazing the way the gospel geometrically progressed because of the average person sharing the good news of Jesus. Not because just 12 guys 
went out. And so I would say something like this. The way the preaching of the good news of the kingdom is going to happen most effectively is when we are all involved in the task. That's just a fact. And God has given us this responsibility. Our church staff cannot do near as effectively what needs to be done as what we can do when we all do it together. Nor do I even think that it was God's plan that only a few individuals would do it from the beginning. There are special servants like a Paul or a Barnabas, or in our case, like a Jonathan or a Dustin or a Kelly or a Hope. But for the most part, I think that those on staff are supported by the church financially financially, so that they can do full-time ministry, which is really what we're all called to do in some form. We get to do it full-time. You do it part-time because you have to make a living for yourselves. The church supports us financially so that we don't have to spend all that time just making a living for ourselves, but instead can go out and do the service that God calls us to do. And so I am financially supported that I, so that I can spend more of my time ministering than what you have time to do. But it doesn't mean that we don't have all a responsibility. And the reason why is pretty simple truth. And it's this. All of your part times add up to way more than all of the staff's Full times. We cannot begin to do what you can do. We just can't. And especially not if our job descriptions call for us to do something other than just preach the gospel. Or if what's needed on a Sunday morning is more than me just preaching the good news. And so God needs our staff to do its job. But what God needs way more is for all of you to do your part when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus. And another way to say this here as we close is that there are way more sets of beautiful feet among you than there is on our staff. I have not seen their feet. I think Jonathan probably has beautiful feet. But their feet are not sufficient to do what needs to get done. And so we need to work together to do what Christ wants us to do. And in the course of that, when you're doing your part, and I'm doing mine, and Jonathan does his, there's an opportunity for the gospel of Christ to go out and to reap a harvest the way that God intended from the beginning that it would reap a harvest. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray today that you would bless us, that we might all be willing to share the good news of Christ. We recognize, God, that there are some among us who are gifted even in this way. Help those who are gifted to use this gift. Help them to be willing and free and give them the opportunities to share with others the good news of Christ. 
And for those of us who do this full time, help us use every opportunity we have to share the good news of Jesus. And God, we pray that your spirit would be present in all of our relationships and the contacts we make. That we, when we share the good news of Christ with someone else, that they, their hearts are ready and open and that they can receive it. But most of all, Father, just make us ready. Put us in a position where we, in our hearts, are ready to confess and to witness to Jesus as Lord. And to do the job in that way of preaching the good news of the kingdom. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen. He's got a song he's going to sing, and this is a good thing. A couple things. I was one of the ones that got sent for about 20 years. I've been involved, a career missionary sent across the ocean uh, to preach. And I say that to say it's not easy. And sometimes I didn't do a good job of that. But it took a lot to get me over there. It took four years of preparation. It took a lot of money. It took two years of language study once we got there. It took a lot of time learning the culture, doing all of that, just to be able to share our faith in Japanese in Japan. You don't have to go that far. All you have to do is share what the gospel means to you to someone that you care about or someone that you know, a neighbor, an office worker, a friend, a family member, and it doesn't take four years and it doesn't take a lot of money and it doesn't take a ton of preparation. Ask yourself, what does the gospel mean to me? And then how could I share that in a way that's real with somebody that I care about? I'm gonna, we're going to try something different. And I need your hands because this is not a song. Yeah, that's right. This is not a song meant for a cappella singing, but we're going to try it, okay? You don't have to sing. You just listen. It's a way of putting this in our heads. But I don't have enough hands. So I'm going to put this down and sing real loud, okay? So you have to go. Can you do that? There you go. Don't speed up. Could you be a window in a darkened hall? There you go. To give a passing soul a way of seeing through the wall. And people stop in front of you and into you they peer. Uncertain what they see because you're not exactly clear. Could you be a lighthouse? Standing on a shore Meant to send the light out To the sailor in a storm Even though your shine, your light Not a boat can tell You didn't know you're not supposed to shine it on yourself Are you a bell that hasn't rolled? A drum that hasn't rolled a who? Are you a word of hope unsaid? Declaration never read a oh, Could you be? Could you be a siren made to raise your voice? 
But sinking in the silence, afraid of making noise. And even though the enemy is flying overhead, even though the fire is continuing to spread, ah, ooh, are you a spear afraid of flight? A constellation afraid of night, ah, ooh, are you a principle unknown, a pilgrim holding on to home? Could you be a flare afraid to burn, a wheel and free to turn? Uh, ooh, are you a compass shunning north in a vessel straying way off course? Uh, ooh, could you be? Could you be? Could you be a lighthouse? Standing on a shore that the lost are looking for. Very good. Thank you very much. I hope that sticks in your head. So we'll come up. Now let's all stand and please sing with me. <laughs>